Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of the Joni Mitchell Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Scott Johnson. For the first 24 episodes of this show, I've always had a guest on, and we've talked about either a Joni Mitchell record, uh, Joni Mitchell in general, or another influence of whoever the guest was. Uh, Today, I'm doing something a little bit different. As uh, anybody who follows this podcast will know, uh, there was, last week was Joni Mitchell's 75th birthday, and there was a beautiful tribute to her out in Los Angeles at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, which I was lucky enough to attend. So um, I'm flying solo today, which is a little bit uncomfortable for me, but I'm just going to do it. I'm going to talk about uh, the the concert and the experience of being there. Uh, my brother hosts a podcast where he doesn't have a guest most of the time, and he just talks, and I've always wondered how he does that. It's a little bit uh, different from my usual format to just talk to uh, people that I can't see, but that's the way it's going to go today. Um, so as usual, I just want to remind you to to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, especially on iTunes. That really does help. Uh, Tell somebody about it if you're a Joni Mitchell fan. Tell another Joni fan about it. Um, You can email me with any questions, concerns, any of that at JoniMitchellPodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, JoniMitchellPodcast at gmail.com. What else? What else? I don't know. Okay. So again, this is a little bit uncomfortable for me to just talk, but uh, hopefully I'll get better as this goes along here. So one of the things, uh, the last episode that I did was actually an interview before the concert with Jorn Weisbrot, who is one of the people who, one of the two people who really put these concerts on, who really helped Joni facilitate the whole thing, you know, pick the guests and went through everything. So um, a lot of the stuff was kind of covered in that particular interview. There were no real surprises in the concert, um, nothing real unexpected, but it was a pretty amazing night. One of the things that I got emailed a lot about from people that people wanted to know, and I really wish I could go back and ask her on this question, was whether or not the concerts were being recorded in some way, shape, or form. And Variety did a nice article where they mentioned that, yes, the shows were recorded. There is a ton of AV equipment there. There were cameras all over the place, and basically an entire, uh, in the mezzanine, section outside the theater the entire space was really filled with av equipment so yes the show is filmed it's going to be a it's going to be broadcast um on pbs at some point um i'm going to look up the article here and see if i can figure out the date i think it said january sometime and um in addition to that i think they're going to do a live record so there will be an opportunity to uh, see this show for people who couldn't make it in person so um, let's see. Let's just kind of dive in. Uh, there was a red carpet at about 5.30. The concert was supposed to start at about 6.30. We'll get to that in just a second. There was a red carpet event at 5.30, which I had forgotten about. As we went, as we walked around the theater to get in, uh, we kind of stumbled across the red carpet, and we couldn't get in. We were there too early. They weren't letting people there. So we, we stayed outside and watched part of the red carpet thing. It was very, very cold, so we didn't stay particularly long. Basically, as soon as they let people in, we went in. Um, it was also kind of hard to see who was going down the red carpet. All of the performers, I think, went down it at some point, and some of the celebrities that were there 
um, also walked down it. I'm not sure exactly how many of the people that um, were known to be there attended the concert. I think some of these folks just skipped the concert and went to the soiree, the party afterwards. But we for sure saw Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, um, Eric Idle from Monty Python. Uh, I was really pretty sure that I saw Angela Bassett and I was really close to her. I just kind of walked by her and I said, is that Angela Bassett? And I wasn't sure. And then later, yes, it was confirmed it was Angela Bassett. Uh, got very close to George Takai, too, and all of a sudden turned around and, hey, George Takai's right there. Um, so at the dinner, Rosanna Arquette was there, Lily Tomlin was there, Angelica Houston, Daryl Hannah, Jake Gyllenhaal, David Geffen, LeVar Burton, Angela Bassett, John Hamm, we did see him as well on the red carpet, uh, Marissa Tomei, St. Vincent, uh, Cameron Crowe, who, of course, has had kind of a long uh, relationship with Joni as well from an interview viewing her for Rolling Stone magazine. So it was a pretty star-studded thing. There were rumors that Warren Beatty and Annette Bening were, were spotted as well. I don't know if that's true or not. They were part of the soiree committee. So they had this page in the thing in the program where they listed all these, you know, birthday tributes from celebrities like Meryl Streep and all sorts of people, including a lot of the names that I just listed. And Warren Beatty and Annette Bening were included in that uh, group of people as well. So anyway, uh, Joni did not make it to uh, the show on time, which is a very Joni Mitchell thing to do. The show said, you know, starts at 6.30 and no late seating, all of that. So we were sure to be in our seats at 6.30. We thought, well, there's a soiree afterwards. Obviously, they want to, you know, do this show and get to the soiree and present Joni with the the award they were giving her later on. Uh, so 6.30 came and went. The show wasn't starting 6.45, 7 o'clock, 7.15. Uh, nothing was happening. So around 7.15, it might have been a few minutes before that, uh, they made an announcement saying that the guest of honor uh, was indeed coming and she was stuck in traffic, which again uh, is just kind of perfect for Los Angeles. She was stuck in traffic, but we wouldn't start the show until she was there. So there was just all sorts of anticipation in the room. Everybody, you know, getting excited. Joni Mitchell was indeed going to be walking into this room. It was so exciting. And... Uh, you know, everybody just kind of waited around and all of a sudden here she walked in with uh, two people. She had somebody on either side of her kind of helping her. There was a large standing ovation and everybody there, I think there said something like 3,100 people were there and we all sang happy birthday to her and gave her a nice ovation. Uh, they helped her to her seat. She just, you know, sat uh, in second or third row of the, of the main level there and uh, right on the aisle and the show started. So I felt like one of the kind of MVPs, the unsung MVPs of the performers was Nora Jones because she had a very, very difficult task in that she had to start this amazing event with Joni being right there. Um, and, you know, especially after all this anticipation, you know, she was probably ready to go at 6.30 and then they just kind of, you know, made everybody wait and wait and wait. So she's probably just standing in the wings waiting to go on. And then all of a sudden you're just pushed out there. So... Uh, credit to Nora Jones, who sounded really great. She started the evening out with Court and Spark, uh, one of Joni's you know biggest hits. So, I it was a very very faithful rendition. You know, it sounded very much like Joni's rendition of the song, which is not a common theme to this evening. There was a lot of kind of varying the songs up quite a bit. So uh, she she chose a more kind of, you know, traditional approach to the song. If I remember correctly, I think she just stood there and sang. I don't think she played piano on that particular one, but I think she sounded great and she did a really, really nice job with it. That song is made for her voice. I think she's got such a great voice. She could really make anything work, but, you know, it's it's really a good fit for her to sing Joni Mitchell's song. So I hope she'll keep, you know, slotting them in when she can. 
Uh, next up was Glenn Hansard, uh, who a lot of people know from Once. Uh, he came out and sang Coyote. This was kind of a nice, uh, you know, early in the show thing because it really they, you know, kicked up. The band was was playing pretty hot. It was it was pretty fast, and they were doing a great job with it. He sounds great. Um, I'm probably not going to be very critical of many of the performers because I really thought everybody did a nice job. Um, Glenn Hansard's versions of these were were nice. I can see why why Joni is a fan of his work and why so many people like what he's doing. He really does have a nice voice and a, and a good presence. Um, so one of the other things was on stage, there was an incredible band. Uh, we talked in the last episode about how amazing this band was, kind of led by John Cowherd on piano. He did, I think, a lot of the arrangements, as well as uh, Brian Blade, who is an incredible drummer who's, who's toured a lot with Joni. Uh, they led the band, but, you know, Greg Lees was on pedal steel. It was just a really, really great band. I think the band deserves a lot of credit as to the show's success, because it was really just a top-notch band. I don't think the band could have been really any better. They were just great. So up next was For the Roses, which I was so happy to hear. I love that song so much. Uh, and it was performed by Diana Krall. So if I'm remembering her songs correctly, I think for both of her songs, uh, she performed solo at the piano, except the second song, she also had Christopher Thomas, who was the bassist for the for the show, a really great bassist. He played with her. I think other than him on the second song that she did, it was just her solo. For the Roses was kind of an interesting uh, version. It was very, very slow. Uh, She really brought out the lyrics. I think that's something Diana Krall is is very good at. And it really, you know, it it brought about these incredible lyrics that she had. Um, So it was kind of, it was kind of interesting to, to hear that particular version on piano, which is of course not something that we'd heard with that particular song, but it's one of my favorite favorites and it was really great to hear her do that. I think she's another one who she performed a case of you at that TNT tribute in the late 90s or maybe the year 2000 something like that whenever they did another tribute to her um, and I think she kind of stole that show. Uh, so I don't know there was something really really nice about her work. She's just really a great singer so uh, next up was for me one of the highlights. It was Rufus Wainwright singing "Blue." I just thought he sounded incredible on that song. There was something. Uh, he is a real interpreter of other people's songs. I, I think he does some writing on his own as well. But there was something about him that just he got into the heart and soul of it. it. Again, he just stood there and sang. He didn't play anything. But man, he was really, really good. That's one of the for sure highlights. Um, next up was Emmy Lou Harris, who actually did two songs back to back. You'll notice that for most of these, uh, most of these artists, they sang one song in the first half, one song in the second half. There were some definite variations from that. Um, but Emmy Lou Harris is the first of those where she did two songs in the first set and then she didn't sing at all in the second set. So she did cold, cold blue steel and sweet fire and the Magdalene laundries, um, for Cold Blue Steel and Sweet Fire, she just came out and sang. She didn't play anything. Uh, the band was, again, pretty rocking on it uh, with some great, great solos by, um, I think it was Bob Shepard on Woodwinds. Um, really, really great solos on it. Just, you know, as the recordings with Joni, there were some great solos on that song. Uh, Emmy Lou seemed to be having some difficulty on the first song with hearing things. She had in-ear monitors and she kept kind of taking the, the thing out of her pocket to play with it and turn levels up or down. I think she was maybe struggling to either hear herself or hear the band. It didn't really affect her performance at all. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they leave that in when they 
you know, put the show on on PBS or if they kind of find a way to edit around it by cutting to the audience during those moments or something. But um, she seemed a little bit thrown off. Um, but it was great to see her. She's one of my all-time favorites. She's a legend. And I actually just saw her a couple weeks ago, solo show. By her. Well, she had a band, but, you know, she was a headliner and played a full two, two plus hours. And uh, she's one of my favorites and she just is you know, I think one of the great singers of our time. So it was great to see her there. Uh, Magdalena Laundrie, she picked up her guitar and played it. Uh, she was, I think, maybe one of the first uh, artists here who actually said something on stage to Joni. Everybody, I think, was, at least in the first half, I don't know, getting their nerves out or, or what, but it seemed kind of formal and everybody kind of came out, did their song and walked off and might have said, thank you, Joni, or I love you, Joni, at the end, but it was usually kind of over the applause and you couldn't really hear what they were saying. So Emmylou... Uh, you know, took her time. And again, she had the benefit of doing two songs back to back. So in between, she could actually talk. And she made a joke about, you know, kind of going from uh, a heavy song about heroin addiction to, you know, the Magdalena Laundries, which is not any happier, but she made a joke about that. Um, and then joked about how, uh, you know, every girl in the world who saw Joni wanted to pick up a guitar and how she inspired so many women out there to pick up guitars and play and made a joke about how Cold Blue Steel and Sweet Fire was too complicated for her to play, but she would play a Magdalena Laundrie. So um, Emmylou was great. Uh, one of the things that kind of was interesting about it um, was how different it was when somebody was able to sing two songs back to back. I think typically the the sound was better on the second song. And it was... I think the sound people at the event did overall a really, really nice job. That is really oh, so much harder than it sounds like to have, you know, Rufus Wainwright come out and then Emmy Lou Harris come out and then Shaka Khan come out and the levels that, you know, it takes for the band and then somebody just singing with piano. It's so much to cover, even if you do have a lengthy sound check, which they probably did. Um, so, you know, props to the sound people. I think they did a great job, but you know, there were minor imperfections throughout the night. And again, I don't think it's possible that there wouldn't be, I don't mean that as anything critical of anybody, cause I think they did overall a great job, but I think it was easier when somebody was singing two songs back to back. I'm not sure if they had it to do over again, what they would do differently, but I wonder if maybe that would be one thing to have people do their two songs back to back. So, you know, they could perfect the levels partway through through the first song and, and kind of go from there. But Emmylou uh, is just one of the greats. So it was so wonderful to, to hear her again. Next up was Shaka Khan with Help Me. Uh, she did a she did a really nice version. It seemed like maybe it started a little bit low for her vocally, but uh, she did a really, really great job. Um, I, I don't have a whole ton to say. She was just full of energy. She looked great. She sounded great. It was I've never really seen her before, but she was wonderful. She also thanked Joni for saving her life multiple times, and um, I think that's really something special so and i know shaka khan was on don juan's reckless daughter she sang with joni and has been friends with her for a long time so i'm guessing that was particularly special for for both of them so that was really really nice to see she actually came shaka khan came pretty much right back on because next up was dreamland uh which speaking of don juan's reckless daughter that's where it comes from uh los lobos with lo with la marisol caesar castro uh yochi flores and then shaka khan came back on about halfway through the song to to, to sing along with it this is another one that was a real highlight uh los lobos and lo la marisol caesar castro they knocked this song out of the park it was a 
amazing. They did such a great job. Um, it had a lot of set, it had a lot of soul and, and funk to it. It was just such a nice change of pace. Oh, it was really, really great. Um, same folks minus Shaka Khan uh, followed it up with Nothing Can Be Done. So I guess we did the for in the first half the people who did two songs back to back that's that's where it ended they did nothing can be done which i don't have it right in front of me but i'm fairly certain that's from night ride home that was kind of an unexpected choice as far as i was concerned um you know a lot of these songs are ones that help me and blue and you know coyote and court and spark these are ones that you would expect to hear at a joni tribute and there were a few in there that were kind of left field choices for the roses and cold blue steel and sweet fire and nothing can be done that you know these were really really great choices and and deep cuts for fans i'm i'm very curious i would love to ask joni how much input she had into picking these songs because um you know it nothing can be done is a great song but certainly not one that we would have expected to hear coming in so it was great next up was another absolute legend james taylor who came out and did river he he modified uh the melody a little bit which was kind of interesting but he put this on one of his christmas records i think he has two christmas records and it might be on both of them but everybody was excited to see james taylor he was probably you know outside of Joni getting the one getting the the biggest round of applause he is just an absolute legend this tribute could have gone to him you know i'm sure they'll do a 75th birthday tribute to james taylor too when his 75th birthday comes around he's a legend there's nobody better than james taylor he was he was great uh, the first set ended with Seal singing Both Sides Now, and I can't remember which review that I read uh, said that Joni asked Seal to sing Both Sides Now. And it was interesting because, as I mentioned earlier, uh, as I was standing around uh, for the red carpet thing, there were, of course, people all around, and there were some folks behind me who were talking to me about you know one thing or another. And they mentioned that they had been to the show the night before. There was a, a, not a dress rehearsal because it was a paid thing too, but they did this concert on November 6th, the night before her birthday, and November 7th. And so the night I went to, the night Joni went to, was her birthday, November 7th. But they had also done the show the night before, and I think essentially did the same show, just Joni wasn't there. And uh, so I had asked these folks, you know, I, they had told me that they'd been there the night before too, and it sounded actually like a lot of folks in the audience had maybe gone to both nights. And uh, I asked them, I said, who was the, you know, who was the kind of biggest surprise? Who was the, who stole the show? And all, both of them said Seal. They said he was incredible. And uh, a lot of the reviews that I read were saying the same things. And uh, Brandy Carlisle had a mention of, you know, how he surprised her. And it seemed like everybody was all in on Seal. And I can see why. There was one review that I read that was a little bit critical of the November 6th show and felt like it felt like a rehearsal and, you know, was at times awkward. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, I can only tell you what I saw on November 7th and I loved the show. So I would disagree with it, but I wasn't at the show on the 6th. So maybe, so maybe things were a little bit different on the 6th, but they were a little critical of Seal um, saying he was a little bit over the top, a little bit melodramatic in both of his songs. And I can see that too, to tell the truth i would say his voice is stunning live um but there was something about kind of you know i don't know he was very into the songs but he was really going for it and a part of me can appreciate that and part of part of it i can see what they were saying i i i don't know i don't want to sound like i'm being critical of seal because man he can sing but um so for what it's worth that's that's what 
the first act was. There was a, an intermission, and you know, of course, everybody's eyes dart to Joni, and you know, hoping that she gets up and leaves the room because otherwise she was going to be attacked. And I felt bad for her because you know she was just on the main floor, so there were people around her, and you know, I'm sure just kind of turned to her and kind of you know launched on her and you know wanted a picture or an autograph or whatever and so it seems like it seemed like she she was there for a couple minutes and then they kind of got her out of the room which was probably the safest thing for her um so the intermission was relatively brief uh and the second set started with graham nash another absolute legend somebody who has a long history of course with Joni. they dated um you know willie from ladies of the canyon is about Graham Nash and he sang one of the songs that he wrote about her he came out and said you know all of the songs that you're going to hear tonight are songs that Joni wrote except this one this is a song that I wrote and he performed Our House which is of course a classic Graham Nash song probably the uh, quintessential Graham Nash song Uh, it was great to hear I have seen Graham Nash within the last year or so, and he did that song then too, but it was still, it was still very, very charming. He had the audience sing, you know, a verse of it, and it was, it was really nice. He got maybe the biggest round of applause, again, outside of Joni, uh, for kind of a slam. (laughs) He, he said something about, um, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, quite frankly, after the election results yesterday, it's great to have our house back. And the place just erupted in applause and cheers that went on for (laughs) several seconds. It was a huge, huge, huge round of applause uh, that he got. So uh, it was great. The second song in the second set, Seal was back pretty quickly. Uh, You know, he just ended the first set and he is back in the second song for the second set. He did A Strange Boy uh, from Hijira, which was a really interesting choice. Again, not one of the ones that you would expect to hear. I'm curious whether that was his idea, whether it was her idea, you know. Um, But he, I actually think he sounded even better on the second song. That one, I, there are so many people who would have a difficult time singing that song. He really handled that song really well. So uh, I give him a lot of credit for that one is in particular because it just sounded great. Uh, next up was Rufus Wainwright, his return, and he did All I Want from Blue. I, I, I really enjoyed this song. I didn't love it quite as much as, as his song in the first set, but um, I thought he did a really great job. It's interesting that both Rufus Wainwright's song came from the Blue record he did all i want and uh blue the song blue uh, so he he chose to stick to blue next up the fourth song in the second set was nora jones and she did borderline this song was this is why i think she was kind of the unsung hero of the evening you know there she maybe didn't have the single greatest performances but she was really solid and i thought she did a really great job and i loved what she did with borderline that's another one that is again kind of an under the radar pick but one of my favorites from from turbulent indigo which is one of my favorite joni records and uh, I was thrilled that she chose it again. It really suited her voice. She sat at the piano and sang it, and she just sounded great. It really just fit. So, you know, I loved that one. Next up was Diana Krall's return with Amelia. To me, it was interesting that they that they put the two female jazz singers back to back like that, that they went with Nora Jones and then Diana Krall. Instead of trying to kind of break them up, they just put them back to back. You know, they both sat at the piano and, and sang their songs. Uh, Amelia was Diana Krall's second choice, and this is one of most Joni, Joni fans' favorite songs. Lyrically, it's just a haunting song. And this was a great version of this song. I think this was the the better of Diana Krall's two two choices. 
Uh, it was just her at the piano and uh, Christopher Thomas on the bass, and man, it was really stunning. She had some really interesting jazz voicings on the piano, and I thought she just did a really, really great job. So um, it was it was another one of the highlights of the evening, I think. Followed uh, with Glenn Hansard singing the Boho Dance uh, from The Hissing of Summer Lawns. Another unusual choice, another great choice. This is, again, one of my favorite songs from The Hissing of Summer Lawns. I will say that, um, you know, Joni is is one that I go through kind of different phases with each of her records. I think most Joni people do, actually. And Hissing of Summer Lawns is one that I found myself, I didn't have it on my on my phone. I didn't have that particular record. I had a couple other ones on my phone at the time. I, you know, we all only have so much storage, so we take some off and put some on. And uh, on this particular trip, I didn't have the Hissing of Summer Lawns, but I found myself wanting that record on my phone, at, you know, during the trip. I wish I had had it on there. I would have been listening to it Um as I spent more time in California that week. Uh, but I, maybe this was part of the reason why. It was just kind of a reminder of how great some of those songs were. Um, next was the single greatest moment in the entire show, not moment, but song, which was A Case of You by Chris Christopherson and Brandy Carlisle. I'm not going to lie. I completely lost it during this song. It is my favorite Joni song. Um, I don't know. This is a sensitive thing to talk about, I think, Um Somebody told me at some point that, I think this was another thing that the LA paper had kind of savaged in their review of the the night before was, they said something, again, I'm paraphrasing, but they said something to the effect of Chris Christopherson singing this song would be great, Brandy Carlisle singing this song would be great, but the basically the pairing didn't work. And so I mentioned that to somebody, I think the same folks who were talking about how, how Seal had stolen the show, and we talked about different things that were coming up. And they said, no, no, here's the thing that that reviewer didn't understand is, you know, he's had a lot of memory issues. I guess they thought he had uh, they thought he had Alzheimer's and it was misdiagnosed and it's Lyme disease. But either way, Chris Christopherson seems to have some uh, pretty significant memory issues at this point. Um, and Brandy kind of just helped him throughout the night and, you know, kind of led him around and told him what key to be in and when to start and everything. And it was so endearing and so wonderful that it was it was just amazing. I'm getting choked up even just thinking about it. It's my favorite Joni song in general, but there was something so special, so wonderful about it. Seeing the two of them together was just amazing. There was there was nothing like it. Um, it was it was incredible. Brandy stayed up for a second song. She she helped Chris Christopherson to one of the couches on stage, um, which a lot of the artists kind of you know stayed and watched the rest of the show. There were two couches on either side of the stage, and um, you know sometimes after performing they would sit down and watch you know the rest of the set or just a couple performers. So Emmy Lou and Rufus Wainwright just kind of planted themselves down for most of the show on the couches, and uh, there were a couple other folks. Glenn Hansard would you know sit down for a while. James Taylor would sit down for a while. Um, Nora Jones would sit down for a while. There were, it was interesting. Some folks, you know, did not sit down, but, um, so on one side of the stage was, was, were those people kind of, you know, on a rotating thing. And on the other side was a couch that, uh, Chris Christopherson and then Brandy Carlisle after she was done, uh, sat and watched the rest of the show. So Brandy's second choice was Down to You from Court and Spark and Man Alive. There is just nobody like Brandy Carlisle. She can sing. She's incredible. I think she's going to be my generation's. Amy Lou Harris or Joan Baez or maybe even Joni Mitchell. I there is nobody who can sing like her. She can do extraordinary things with her voice. She is 
something special. She is something that is really, really amazing. So uh, Down to You was another highlight for sure. Shaka Khan came back on and did uh, Two Gray Rooms, which is another of my favorite Joni songs. As you can tell, I'm either, you know, I either love every song so much and find it to be my one of my favorite Joni songs or this show just kind of packed a lot of them in. But Two Gray Rooms is a really great song from uh, the Night Ride Home record. And again, uh, a great choice and maybe not the most expected choice. Shaka Khan, I think, has recorded that song. Um, is a little bit more upbeat uh, than than Joni's version, and she and she really kind of embellishes a lot of the vocals and does some interesting things. But um, I love that song so much. The last solo performance of the night was uh, James Taylor singing Woodstock, um, and it was interesting because you could see Graham Nash watching from the wings. He didn't come out and, and sit on the couch, but he was watching this from the wings. And I kind of wondered if uh, he was going to come out and sing back up on it. I think Seals sung back up on it, if I'm remembering correctly. There were a couple times that you know somebody would get up and and sing some backup. Um, I remember Rufus Wainwright was singing, I think, on Help Me with Shaka Khan. I think he and Seal sang on that a little bit. Um, but he, I think Seal was back to help out with Woodstock. Um, it was just James Taylor and uh, the band. It was kind of a, a slower version of it. Uh, so it was interesting to see Graham Nash watching from the side of the stage because, of course, Crosby, Stills, and Nash had a, a major hit with that song. They had the hit with it before Joni did, in fact. So it would have been interesting to see Graham Nash performed that, especially since Graham Nash only did the one song, which was his song. He didn't actually do any Joni songs. So uh, then there was Big Yellow Taxi, which was the finale with everybody. Um, So there were verses that went around. I remember Brandy did a verse. I think Shaka Khan did a verse. I can't remember who else did a verse. I think maybe James Taylor did a verse. Um, And then, so, you know, giant standing ovation. uh, the, The curtain goes down. And there is a long, long, long encore break. You know, everybody's chanting and everybody's getting their phones out because we all think we know what's going to happen. And indeed, it is what happened. The curtain goes up. There's Joni. Standing center stage, somebody on either side helping her and uh, gets a well-deserved, incredible ovation that just went on for a long time. It was incredible. They brought out a, a cake for her to blow out the candles. And it was kind of funny because it was very clear that nobody really knew what to do. They hadn't really planned. I think maybe, I don't, you know, I don't know anything, but I think it had maybe occurred to people that uh, there was a possibility that Joni might not attend. You know, she's been known to kind of uh, not attend these things in the past. And uh, so I think they weren't necessarily assured that she would be there. Of course, I'm sure they hoped she would be there and were thrilled that she was there, but um, I don't think they necessarily knew exactly what to do and how it was going to end. Joni did not sing, of course. We didn't expect that she would. Uh, she didn't speak either, um, but she's she stood and she waved to everybody. And uh, so then to end the show, they just did Big Yellow Taxi again, which they had just done. I think it was, a again, they needed to do something, and they just kind of decided to go into it. The bands kind of just started playing it, and I think they were just kind of thinking, oh, this will vamp out, and then everybody started singing it. So uh, pretty incredible night. Uh, the band, I want to I mention again, Brian Blade was a co-musical director and played drums. John Cowherd was a co-musical director and played piano. 
Christopher Thomas on bass, Marvin J. Sewell on guitar, Ambrose Ekinmuzari on trumpet, Greg Lees on guitar and pedal steel, Jeff Haynes on percussion, Bob Shepard on woodwinds, and Scarlett Rivera, who was the guest artist um, on violin. She, of course, has a long history with, in particular, Bob Dylan, but a lot of folks, including Joni. And uh, so she wasn't up there for the entire show, but she would kind of come in and out. And uh, incredible band, uh, really just an extraordinary event. Uh, so it was Joni 75 was the name of it. It's a birthday celebration live at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. What an extraordinary event to be at. Um, it was amazing. Uh, my congratulations to everybody involved. I think it was a really, really wonderful night. So um, I hope they'll do something for her 80th. I, I think it just could not have been more perfect the way it was, you know. And I'm sure there were people clamoring to, to perform and... Um, so congratulations to everybody. I'll, I'll wrap it up now. I just want to, wanted to, to give my basic positive review and, and say it was a wonderful event, a wonderful night. And, uh, uh, Joni is the greatest and it was a wonderful reminder to have, you know, 3000 people in the room who all felt that way. Um, there are thousands of people all over the country who feel that way, but it was great for people to kind of get an opportunity to, to be in that room with, fellow Joni Files and, uh, you know, just celebrate her and have her be there to witness it, which was, of course, the the most amazing thing. So um, I'm looking forward to the CD release. It said they're releasing a, an album. I don't know if they'll be putting out a DVD of it as well after they put it on uh, PBS. I certainly hope they do. I'll be buying it and treasuring it forever. So uh, I will see you next time. I'm not sure when the next time will be. Uh, I'll continue to, to talk to people as the opportunity becomes available. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, I'll see you next time.